listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Welcome again to Dairy Voice, the podcast from dairybusiness.com. Our guest this time is Dr. Michael Hutchins, professor at the University of Illinois and longtime extension dairy specialist there, known internationally for his expertise with dairy cattle nutrition. Dr. Hutchins uh, earned his PhD degrees and um, became the extension specialist at the University of Illinois, where he served for 32 years. He's spoken or provided nutrition instruction in 46 states and 17 countries. He's a prolific author of both of uh, popular press pieces, extension bulletins, and journal articles. Uh, and he's also been a pioneer in education online and uh, is known for his work there and recognized for it. We'd like to welcome Mike to our show. And uh, our topic today is going to start with kind of the unusual and volatile weather patterns that we've seen in the Midwest this year and what impact they're having on, on uh, crops and dairy cattle feeding strategies. Welcome, Mike. Let's, let's talk about the weather. Well, very good, Joel. It's, uh, it's an honor to, uh, to be part of your program here today, and hopefully we can uh, relate some topics that will be of value to your listeners and especially to dairy farmers and, and the dairy industry as far as that goes. My subtitle for you today, Joel, is, boy, the next 60 days are going to be critical. And you might say, well, why are you saying that? And so let's walk through what's happened here. Already last winter, we had significant winter kill of alfalfa, especially in Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, even on the East Coast, there's been some significant winter kill, which means that this alfalfa crop that we're hoping to have just died. And it looks like it was these really cold snaps that we had. Some of this minus 24, minus 26 degree actual temperatures. Looks like it really hammered uh, these alfalfa fields, especially some of those I didn't have as much snow cover as you and I would like to see. So that's the first shoe that hits the floor. Then it decided to rain and rain and rain. As one Wisconsin dairy farmer said, it rained every day starting at the end of April almost to the first week of June as far as that goes. What does that do for us? It really delays the planting of our corn uh, for corn silage and corn grain. It slows down soybean planting as well. Uh, some of our winter cereal grains got away from us, meaning they got very mature, uh, meaning that we didn't have the quality we'd have like in winter wheat or winter triticalia or, or something like that. Of course, there's a program in the United States called Prevent Plant Acreage, which means uh, if you don't, if you cannot plant the crop, and of course, the real people who really get hit with that one are those people along the Mississippi and Missouri River. Uh, huge amounts of flooding there, and that, that water was still flooding in July as far as that goes. Uh, my colleague Jim Baltz had a drone picture. It's just amazing the amount of standing water we have in various parts here in the Midwest from there. Then, of course, we should be cutting first crop in May, uh, and, and in May. And of course, nobody told the remaining alfalfa that, hey, we're wet. And so it was so wet, we couldn't cut it. We couldn't keep our big equipment out from making ruts in the field. And so we got some really poor quality first crop on many farms and cut maybe two to four weeks late as far as that goes. And then the other amazing thing would be uh, August. We had some dry weather. In fact, parts of Illinois in the Midwest is on the drought map. Uh, it's not a big area, but it's there, meaning it's very dry. And that's going to affect quality and quantity of feedstuffs as well. And the next 60 days, the question is going to be, when and will we get a killing frost? And that's usually defined as 28 degrees F for several hours. And of course, if we got these immature crops, the question is, that stops them. Uh, the corn, the soybeans, they are uh, no longer will grow. And now farmers will have to make a decision what to do it. So certainly, we're talking about the weather, and that's going to have impact not only for farmers in the in the Midwest, but people who are buying feed are going to be hammered as well, Joel. A tumultuous year 
what do you think, uh, what are the implications here for what folks should be thinking about in terms of securing their feed supplies, particularly those folks in the Western states uh, who import from the Midwest and buy grain in the Midwest? Well, certainly, let's kind of break that, Joel. Great question into two sections. Uh, what about us uh, us folks here in the Midwest? Uh, as one farmer says, I'm not going to have enough forages. Uh, we just don't have them on the farm. What am I going to do? And the answer is you better know exactly what that forage inventory is going to have to be. And my calculation says it's going to take about five and a half to six tons of forage dry matter per cow. And that does not include the heifer. It does include the dry cow and the milking cows. And, and so the question is, if you got a hundred or if you got a thousand cows, do you have enough forage to get to the next harvest year? And of course, uh, again, who knows what 2020 will bring in uh, in uh, April, May, June, and July as far as that goes. Then we already alluded to the other question, and that has to do with forage quality. And I think we're going to be asking ourselves a a lot of low quality first crop. We think the high high quality hays are going to be expensive. The good news, uh, according to the USDA, we do have more acreages coming into our uh, legume grass areas as far as that goes, but high quality forages could be quite expensive. And that gets to the second part of your question, Joel, and that is, well, what if I'm a buyer? And so if you're going to have to buy quality alfalfa, I'd be scouting it right now. I I don't think we're going to, we still may get one more cutting or a couple more cuttings and some of the uh, Southwest western parts of the U.S., but certainly the forage quality thing is, is going to be a challenge, so you're going to buy that. The, the, the real wild one, and I, I will not speculate here, but uh, about a month ago, we, uh, we saw corns going up. Uh, going up to, uh, to $4 a bushel. And there were some uh, popular press and some economists saying it could reach $5 a bushel. Lo and behold, out comes the estimate from USDA. And they're estimating a fairly significant, uh, uh, not, not as bad a yield drag as we had, more acreage there. And sure enough, back she goes to $3.50 a bushel. Now the question is, when those big combines get rolling here in the next 45 to 60 days, what are they actually going to bring in? And so those of you that are buying corn... Wow, I um I, I guess I would pull the trigger at 350, but then again, I'm I'm not feeding cows and I'm not going to take the risk. But be well aware that if uh, some of these live field walks that were done two or three weeks ago here in the Midwest are true, basically Ohio, Indiana, and, Ohio, and Illinois got hammered. Uh, what do you mean by hammered? Well, anywhere some 10 to 15 percent lower yields per acre compared to last year. But then again, Joel, last year was a banner year, so you got to play that as well. And Nebraska, I guess, is looking great. They they may even have record yields out there. So so uh, it's not the entire Corn Belt, but certainly when you get in the I states and even parts of Iowa got hurt a little bit, uh, that really affects uh, the, the corn there. Then you got another challenge with what about soybean meal? And one of my consultants said once the soybean meal gets down to $3 a bushel, he would lock her in for the year. Well, the bad news is we never got down to $3 a ton. I'll get that right. $300 a ton. Uh, and we have got there, but we're, we're not too far away from that. But then I, I think, Joel, I think our, our tariff situation with China may be a bigger player there. And of course, we, we keep watching to see what kind of yields are going to come out of coming, coming out of South America as well. So certainly th- those are all factors. Another feedstuff that relates to the corn industry and you had, you had inkled it a bit earlier when we talked, and, and that has to do with uh, the ethanol. And we know there are some ethanol plants here in the Midwest shutting down because of some of the new uh, changes in, 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 in ethanol at this point, and that means distillers' grains could get shorter. And just about every Midwest uh, dairy farmer is feeding corn distillers' grains because it's a really great buy as a protein supplement and energy feed in lactating cows. So around the United States and maybe internationally, all these questions are, are now beginning to be asked. 
How could the dairy markets be impacted by the global economy next year? Come to Vision 2020, Global Markets Outlook, next February in Orlando and find out. INTL FC Stone's premier event will combine industry-leading economic and commodity outlooks all in one conference. Registration opening soon. For details, visit ifcs.co slash vision2020. Again, that's ifcs.co slash vision2020. We've seen uh, a bit of uh, maybe unusual differences between some projections for the corn crop that we've seen from private sources and and marketers and USDA projections. Uh, Have you seen this kind of uh, dichotomy in in the past, Mike, and what, what do you make of it? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I hear that, you know, and I'm not sure where USDA gets their data. And I know uh, we have an organization called Farm Doc, and they do webinars here on that on that topic as well. But it seems to me when people go out in the field and they're snapping ears and they're counting the number of rows of corn and the length of the corn cob, and uh, we, we've been been a number of fields here in uh, near in the Champaign, Illinois area, uh, the tips are pretty open, which means they didn't pollinate. So it looks like our cobs are going to be shorter this year and then we broke some of the cobs and unfortunately the grain is not deep. In other words, it's, it's a smaller kernel. So the question is, you know, I, I guess who's right? And uh, I, I better not pick sides. That's kind of like uh, the Packer Bear game. Who's going to win that game? We saw what happened there. It went the wrong way for us Illinois folks. But uh, I, I really tend to monitor what the, uh, the, the pro-ag group did when they're out there in the fields, actually in the fields walking the corn and then counting the number of pods. And they were doing pod counts as well. And of course, the pod counts a wild herring right now because they're filling. And so uh, we're going to get some uh, really hot weather here. That's, uh, I guess, not good news if you're not going to the beach or the swimming pool. But boy, for my corn crop that needs some heat, uh, th- this is going to be good weather in the next week or 10 days, at least here in Illinois. We are going to get 90 degree temperatures, which is a bit unusual for us at this time of the season. And we're going to get some rain. So that could really push those crops. So again, to our theme we started out with, Joel, what's going to happen in the next 60 days? There are some opportunities for some of these crops, i.e. soybeans, to maybe do a little bit of improvement improvement or recovering. For the folks who need to harvest their own uh, corn corn silage, and if they're concerned about uh, some of these immature uh, fields, uh, what strategies do you think about or do you recommend for folks as they look at when do they start? Uh, that's a great question, Joel. And, and my answer is, is uh, multi-pronged. Uh, I'll wait as long as I can. As long as the crop has not been killed, that still gives us leaf material that can uh, produce nutrients for that corn crop. And so uh, the closer I can get, to uh, one half to one quarter milk line, that means that I'm still storing nutrients in that plant. Now, once that black layer, that's the little tip of the kernel is dead, that seals the kernel. Now, not, 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 as we say, the party's over. Uh, at that point, we, we're, we're maxed out. We're going to make corn slides though before black layer because at that point, it's about, the plant is about 40% dry matter. It is going to be too dry to ferment, to pack, and, and to get a good quality corn silage that cows will relish as far as that goes. So we're going to tell our dairymen to harvest somewhere around uh, 32 to 36 percent dry matter. Remember the thumb rule, for every one percent increase in dry matter, the thumb rule is about one percent more starch in that crop. So again, if you're looking for a really corn slides you can pack 
back really well. Uh, then you're going to go a little on the wetter side and uh, open up your rollers or your crimpers because you don't want to mash those kernels. Uh, we were watching a bagger here a couple days ago and the bagger was actually juicing. So the corn was so wet, it was, the juice was running out of where the, the bagger was. And then of course they had bagged some earlier and it was running out the back of the bag. That That's that's dry matter and high quality nutrients that are going out. Now, what do we get this killing frost and it's 28% dry matter? Well, you're going to have to monitor the crop. And of course, these chippers that they use for wood is a great device. You uh, uh, go out and take a, a half a dozen stocks and run it through your chipper and then do a dry matter analysis, either using a microwave or a coster tester or something like that and see, wh- see where you're at. To help our listeners a little bit, the thumb rule from the University of Wisconsin is we will drop about a half a point a day. So if you're at 28 and you're trying to get to 33, you're trying to drop five points. So the math is pretty simple, about 10 days. Now that crop's going to look like it's dead in a doornail. The leaves are dead. Uh, you know, it, it looks like it's it's just drying right up as far as that goes. But that big stalk, it is carrying lots and lots of moisture. So that means you're going to have probably wait about 10 days after you're killing frost if you're at 28. So now we need to know where's the crop at when we get the killing frost. And then you could use the thumb rule, but better off to go ahead because you can't use the milk line anymore. The milk line will not be very valuable. And in fact, it's just one tool you can use. The dry matter is the real deal, Joel, out there in, in the program. And then if we get frost damage, make really, really, really sure you put on a good research-based silage inoculant because once that crop has been killed, guess what those normal bacteria on the corn plant would be? Uh, they're dead or doornail also. So therefore, we want to make sure we get a, a good fermentation occurring out there as well. And then hopefully, we can hold that corn silage ideally for uh, a two to four months and let it oh, ferment because the crop, the starch will get better. But I would recommend taking samples. So if you, if you have frost damage or taking your corn silage is now, I would do some testing going in the bag or in the pile or in the silo or in the bunker so that I kind of know where I'm where I'm at when I get ready to feed that because obviously uh, the starch numbers will be different, the dry matters will be different, the proteins will be different, the NDFs will be different. It, it'll, be, it, it'll be a different crop. And your good nutritionists can take that data and uh, get these cows to produce milk because the bottom line is, Joel, I don't care where the price of feed is and the price of milk, we never give up milk because uh, that, that, that last uh, couple pounds of milk is got the big P word profits uh, stamped on it. Well, and we know that uh, that is always your message when you're when you're talking to folks in your in your presentations around the countryside and, and to the dairy farmers that you consult with. Just touch once again on the uh, feeding strategies. If we have to get our corn in too soon before it's mature, you were talking about the high moisture aspect of it versus what if it stays out there in the field longer, we don't get an early frost, uh, but maybe it gets uh, drier than we might like. You, you need to, to stay on top of the dry matter and the moisture level of the crop, especially when we're in siling. Now, we've got some of this prevent plant acreage out here as well, Joel, and some of that has gone into corn. You could plant corn in the prevent plant acreage, but you cannot cannot take it for green, but you can take it for corn silage. Uh, one of my uh, colleagues told me that the, he was coming to the meeting last week and he saw here in uh, parts of uh, parts of Illinois corn that was knee high. <laughs> I don't care how much heat we get, Joel, we're never going to make uh, a normal corn silage out of that. And so the, the, if you've got that kind of a crop, it's basically a grass with no comb in it. And so I would then go in and swat it just like you would any other kind of grass and treat it like grass silage as far as that goes. Wilt it down uh, to about uh, uh, 
or wilted up, whichever way you want to call that, to 40, uh, 40% dry matter and then go in and silo it. And, and so uh, that's how I would handle that, that one. What about soybeans that never fill pods? Uh, ideally, you need to get the soybeans before we lose the leaves. So be eyes wide open. If we get a killing frost today, then I'm probably going to, I'd probably swat them uh, tomorrow because those leaves are going to drop. Uh, they're dead and any amount of wind and that, they're just going to drop. And that's where all the feed value sits in, in soybeans. Soybeans can be equal to alfalfa or clover silo, typically at, at the pod stage. So there's feed value. What's the downside? Well, you're only going to get about a ton, ton and a half of dry matter on a good day. And so if you could make seed, it's very clear, go for the seed. But if that is not going to be a reality, be ready. Be ready on this one to go ahead and take that crop in before we drop the leaves because that's the word. If you're taking soybeans for a forage crop, you must cut it before you have significant leaf loss, even as that plant matures. And we all know that because when soybeans mature, all you see is stalks and pods out there. All the leaves are on the ground when those combines go out there as well. To prevent plant acreage, I just want to touch on that briefly, Joel, and, and, and that is uh, uh, the, the government is paying you a certain amount based on where you are and typical yields. And I, I'm not quite sure what that formula is. But the point is, September 1st, you can now harvest that. It used to be November 1st. Well, in northern Illinois, in northern Wisconsin, the snow is flying usually by the 1st of November. So by September 1st, we should have a shot at, at some of that acreage. Now, what could that be? Well, it, it, could, it had to have a cover crop on it. By law, you had to have a cover crop on it. So that could have been uh, a small grain like oat, or it could have been uh, something like that. It could be a grass seed. It could have been corn. It could have been soybeans. Yeah, but that's the they considered cover crop. According to the University of Minnesota, that cover crop on corn should have had sixty to eighty thousand seeds per acre. Normally, we're planting thirty-five thousand, so we're we're going to grow a very very uh, dense type crop as far as that goes. A uh, good news: it could be sorghum Sudan grass. Uh, that means every thirty days uh, you could cut the crop. And so, if you had that, if you planted that to prevent acreage, now it's too late. But we told our dairymen to cut that uh, in early July because thirty-one days later, it's going to be ideal quality for lactating cows and. Uh, and by in September 1, you'd have some really good feed. Now, that feed can be anywhere from 30 inches, perfect, all the way up to six feet. And then we call logging. Then you got a logger out because now you've really got some big stems in there. And so some of this is going to be just some native grasses that were growing out there on, on, on those fields and weeds. And as far as that goes, a wonderful straw. It looks like straw is going to be expensive this year again because of the winter kill of uh, the winter wheat. So certainly that could be used as a, as a, as a straw or bedding resource as well. Same thing with corn stalks. You could use that, chop them. If you get that far with high moisture corn, you take the high moisture corn out and the corn stalks could be then uh, uh, treated and uh, or uh, cut, allowed to dry out and then made into, into bedding. So lots of choices out there. If you're a dairy farmer, if you've got prevent acreage, you've got immature corn, immature soybeans. If you've got a bunch of fr low quality first crop alfalfa, you need to get some good alfalfa, um, get your wallet out because you're, you're going to have to buy it. You're, you're, you're going to pay for it. You've uh, covered the waterfront here, Mike, in great shape, as, as we knew you would. Any other thoughts on, on some of the unusual circumstances that you've seen out there? You did mention the Sudan grass and the fact that we're seeing a bit more of that, either as a cover crop or as things get a little drier. 
Exactly right. And I'm telling my, my Illinois dairymen and maybe other areas as well, I'd be looking to put a winter a winter cover crop in. That means uh, winter triticale, winter wheat. That means sometime in April next year, we should be ready to harvest that. So that could be a very early crop. Is it too late to, to plant uh, fall oats? That's another unusual crop. You'd plant this in late August. You cross your fingers and, and toes and hope it works. It takes about 60 days to plant this crop before we can cut it as uh, oats silage. And it has to go for silage. You'll never dry this stuff in late October and November. But again, another forage stretcher as far as that goes. And then the last thing, go back to where we almost started here, uh, Joel, and, and that was know your inventory. And if it's going to be tight, we got some things called soy hulls and corn gluten uh, feed, beet pulp. Uh, if you're down in Florida, citrus pulp. Uh, these are more fibrous byproducts that we can actually stretch the forage inventory. We can't replace it. You don't have the physical form to do that, but we can stretch our uh, resources there. And the, the message there, Joel, is let's learn that now rather than in March. Because in March, I don't have a lot of time to stretch anymore. But if I start stretching my forages here in September, October, uh, it gives me a little more window, a little more flexibility. So have a plan. You dairy farmers, you nutritionists, consultants, feed company personnel, veterinarians, have a plan. And uh, my guess is when Christmas rolls around, we're not going to harvest a lot of feedstuffs anymore. And what you have is what you got. And what you don't have, you're going to buy. And I think we're going to see more expensive feed. And I, I think the other scary part is, the word is that we're going to have our highest milk price for this year coming here in uh, in September. It uh, looks like milk prices are, might soften a little bit. And that puts us a little bit of more jeopardy as well. Feed costs might go up, milk price comes down. And that's going to squeeze our some of our dairy farmers uh, pretty hard. Never a good thing. Well, Mike, we thank you for taking time to share your insights with us. We've been speaking with Dr. Mike Hutchins, well-known University of Illinois Emeritus Professor, talking about a really unusual crop here in the Midwest. This is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and the Google channel, as well as on our website at dairybusiness.com. We do welcome your feedback and your ideas for future conversation. In the meantime, Dairy Voice will be available on October 7. Have a safe and productive harvest season.